It's the Noon Report from Family Life, bringing a Christian worldview to what's happening in New York, Pennsylvania, across the country, and around the world. Weather with Kevin Williams, plus special features and reports with the Family Life News team. Now, here's what's happening. The vote is on. Good afternoon. Welcome to the broadcast. It's election day, and there are key contests across the country to keep an eye on. In Mississippi, Democrats hope to win the governor's race for the first time in 20 years. In Virginia, Republicans are confident they can take full control of the General Assembly. Here's Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin. Republicans, get out and vote. We have to have you at the polls so that we can hold our house and flip our Senate. The GOP also hoping to flip a governor's race in Kentucky. Ohio voters, meantime, deciding a crucial constitutional amendment that, if approved, would permit abortion through all nine months of pregnancy. Here's CBS's Jerika Duncan. Over 850,000 people voted early. They are expecting more than average turnout for this at stake. Whether a woman has a legal right to an abortion in the state of Ohio, it is literally and figuratively issue number one. There's also a ballot initiative in the Buckeye State to legalize marijuana. Today marks one month since the horrific Hamas terror attack on Israel, and Gazans continue to pay a heavy price for that assault. Reporter Deborah Pata has the latest on the war from the Palestinian territory. Diesel bodies just lying around this man screams, please have mercy on us. But mercy is in short supply here. The Israeli-Hamas war has displaced more than a million Palestinians inside Gaza, one of the most densely populated places on the planet. Correspondent Trey Yinks continues our coverage. It's been exactly one month since Hamas militants crossed into southern Israel, slaughtering around 1,400 people. Today, though, the Israelis are taking the fight back to Hamas. They continue gaining more territory inside the Gaza Strip. Israeli Prime Minister Bibi Netanyahu says there are no plans for a ceasefire until all the hostages that Hamas is holding are free. A ceasefire would be a surrender to Hamas. Netanyahu predicts the Israeli military will occupy Gaza for some time until a replacement government for Hamas can be found. I think Israel will, for an indefinite period, will have the overall security responsibility because we've seen what happens when we don't have it. Former President Barack Obama's injected himself into the conflict by assigning blame to both Hamas and Israel. If you want to solve the problem, then you have to take in the whole truth and you then have to admit nobody's hands are clean. Obama condemns the Hamas attacks of October 7th, but also says the Israeli occupation of the Palestinian territory is, in his words, unbearable. Mideast scholar Dan Sinor says Obama needs to brush up on his history. Israel's been out of there for 18 years. Hamas has been there for 16 years. And here President Obama is accusing Israel of occupying Gaza, almost as a way to rationalize what Hamas did to Israel on October 7th. It's to say Yes, it was terrible what Hamas did, but... 
And the but is always, these people live in terrible conditions, and somehow the Israelis are responsible for it, except the Israelis haven't been there since 2005. Mideast scholar Dan Senor, more than 11,000 people have been killed on both sides of the conflict since the war began October 7th. Israel's 9-11. The effort continues on Capitol Hill to censure the only Palestinian-American in Congress. Her name is Rashida Tlaib, a Democratic representative from the state of Michigan, and she's under fire for condoning a mantra that Jews find offensive. From the river to the sea is calling for the destruction of an entire country. Period. Full stop. And so look, Congresswoman has a First Amendment right. She can say whatever she wants. But at the same time, Congress has the ability to express their displeasure with a fellow colleague of ours calling for the destruction of a country. Florida Democratic Congressman Jared Moskowitz, an elderly Jewish man waving an Israeli flag, was killed over the weekend in California after being attacked by a pro-Palestinian protester. The death of 69-year-old Paul Kessler is officially ruled a homicide, and prosecutors say they haven't ruled out pursuing this case as a hate crime. Kessler attended a rally just north of Los Angeles on Sunday. The rally was to honor the 1,400 victims murdered by Hamas last month. Witnesses say Kessler was confronted by a pro-Palestinian counter-protester. When the confrontation turned physical, Kessler reportedly fell backwards, hitting his head on the ground. Fox News correspondent Brooke Singman says Kessler died in the hospital yesterday morning. Donald Trump may move for a mistrial in his civil fraud case in Manhattan. The ex-president got into a shouting match yesterday with the judge. At one point, the judge told Trump's lawyers to control their client, adding this is not a political rally. This is a courtroom. Correspondent Laura Jarrett was inside the courtroom for those fireworks. Almost from the very moment that he entered the courtroom, a hush fell over the room. It was so tense. And right away, he's giving long, long speeches and answers. And the judge interrupts him and says, stop. We don't need any speeches. And it just devolved from there. The judge screaming at Mr. Trump, sit down. I don't want to hear it. No, no, no. Trump calls the legal proceeding against him election interference because it's keeping him inside a courtroom and off of the campaign trail. Five candidates will be taking part in tomorrow night's third Republican presidential debate. Donald Trump will not be among them. Chris Christie, Nikki Haley, Vivek Ramaswamy, Tim Scott, and Ron DeSantis will duke it out on stage in Miami. DeSantis says America cannot afford four more years of President Biden. His weakness has invited huge problems internationally. His agenda at home has been outright disastrous. And so, you know, we're now in a very difficult situation as a country. So many of our wounds are self-inflicted. The two-hour debate starts at eight tomorrow night on NBC. Two new studies today show daily marijuana use raises the risk of heart failure. The findings presented by the American Heart Association, those who use pot every day are 34% more likely to suffer heart failure. And in the spirit of the holidays, the Empire State Building is marking 20 years since the movie Elf. Festivities to celebrate the film starring Will Ferrell kick off today at the Empire State Building with Elf-themed window displays on Fifth Avenue. Guests who purchase observatory tickets will get free treats based on the elves' four main food groups. They are candy, candy canes, candy corn, and syrup.
For tonight, only the Empire State Building will be lit in green and yellow to commemorate the anniversary. Finally, there will be three different screenings on the 80th floor on December 3rd, 10th, and 17th. More information can be found on the Empire State Building's website. Paul DeCastro, New York. Hard to believe Elf is 20 years old. What a great film. Still to come on the Noon Report, protecting women's sports. What's driving traffic at the polls today? And the Clock Museum in Newark, New York. Good afternoon. I'm Kevin Williams, and we're tracking the passage of a cold front that'll send our temperatures ever lower this afternoon into tonight. I'll have complete forecast details coming up in 10. All right, Kev, as we mentioned at the top of the broadcast, it's Election Day in New York and PA. Polls open till 9 tonight in New York, 8 p.m. in Pennsylvania. Now, aside from local and county races, voters in New York are deciding a couple of constitutional amendments. Voters in Pennsylvania deciding four statewide judicial contests, including an open seat on the state Supreme Court. A new ABC News Ipsos poll shows 95% of Republicans think the country's headed in the wrong direction. 76% of independents feel that way. 54% of Democrats do. And now, with the race for the White House less than a year away, we wanted to know what voters are saying about a potential Biden-Trump rematch in 2024. I really wish that there were two brand new candidates. Everything that Democrats said what happened under Trump has happened under Biden. And worse, everything. Economy's in the toilet. We're this close to World War III. A recent Siena College survey found Biden trailing Trump in five battleground states, including Pennsylvania. A Pennsylvania high school student was honored last night in Hershey. Her name is Lily. She was presented the Power of One Award by the Pennsylvania Family Institute. Spokeswoman Alexis Sneller says Lily stood up for her girls' cross-country team when a male student tried to join. She took a stand very lovingly, caring for everyone involved, but took a stand for truth. She spoke out at school board meetings, she spoke out at legislative hearings, she spoke to legislators, and because of Lily's courage, her school district actually enacted a fairness in women's sports policy. Sneller says because of what Lily did, other districts followed suit. So it's just so incredible to see what one person standing can do for so many other girls. The keynote speaker at last night's event in Hershey was Riley Gaines, the all-American swimmer who's made it her life mission to save women's sports from the growing influence of the transgender movement. Former Erie County, New York Democratic Party Chairman Steve Pigeon has pled guilty to sexually abusing a child. He was facing a trial next month, took a plea deal instead. The Erie County DA says Pigeon abused a girl under the age of 11 in 2016. He'll be sentenced to just a year in jail next month. Obviously, I would have liked to see more, but sometimes in life, you got to swallow your pride and take what you can get and in order to get this done he's only going to do a year in jail really doesn't really matter what i want what matters here is what the victim and the victim's family wants and they are okay with a year erie county district attorney john flynn general motors is spending big bucks on its engine plant in western new york one week after a tentative agreement between general motors and the united auto workers was reached wgrz tv reports 
GM plans to invest $300 million in the Tonawanda engine plant. The investment will reportedly allow the plant to add drive unit production for GM's electric vehicles as the automaker transitions from gasoline-powered vehicles. GM is also making significant investments in other Western New York component facilities, in Lockport, where they produce electric vehicle starter modules, and in Rochester, where they assemble electric vehicle battery cooling systems. GM is expected to release details about the investments soon. D. Haley, Family Life News. Thank you, D. Pennsylvania senior U.S. Senator Bob Casey is promoting the Fendoff Fentanyl Act, which would crack down on drug suppliers in China and Mexico. So when you hear discussions in Washington about border security, when you hear discussions about law enforcement and what the federal government can do, in my judgment, that uh, begins and ends with the question of fentanyl. Pennsylvania recorded 5,400 drug overdose deaths last year. It is the leading cause of death for people under 40 in the Commonwealth. The New York Office of Cannabis Management says it seized more than $6 million of illegal product from 50 unlicensed pot dealers last month. The state's rollout of the legal marijuana marketplace has been anything but smooth. There are fewer than 30 licensed dealers almost three years after New York greenlighted the drug for recreational reasons. A unique museum in Newark, New York, is keeping track of time. It's called the Hoffman Clock Museum, and David Richardson is its curator. They're just very, very interesting, unique, different clocks. Richardson says he takes his role as clock curator seriously. It's preserving history. Uh, these clocks have a story to tell. Uh, many have been around for close to 200 years. The museum keeps over 500 clocks, watches, and other historic timepieces. 100 of them are always running. <laughs> And with the recent time change, Richardson says his job got extra busy over the weekend. Here's Spectrum News reporter Seth Voorhees. With this past weekend's change to daylight saving time, today's kind of a busy, exceptional day. Richardson has a lot of work to do. Yeah, a little bit of a workout. To keep the museum's collection on time. The only day of the week that I wear a watch is today. Because of the age and inner workings of these clocks, and I'm just going to turn the hand back. Winding them back can be a delicate process. If you consider that some of these clocks are 100 years old and they're still running and they're still in operating condition, I mean, how many of the clocks in a current house are going to last for 100 years? Now, you might imagine that a guy who curates a clock museum might just have a few clocks at his own house. Too many. <laughs> For Richardson, there's no better way to pass the time. I enjoy him. It's, it's a hobby, it's a profession right now, and it keeps me busy. In Newark, Seth Voorhees, Spectrum News. All right, what a great story. Thank you, Seth. It's time for us to talk sports on the Family Life Noon Report. <laughs> Good afternoon, I'm Randy Snavely. Bob, not a good night for the New York Jets as their three-game winning streak came crashing down. At home, they were beaten up by San Diego's defense. The Chargers had eight sacks and forced two fumbles by quarterback Zach Wilson. 27-6 the final. Both the Jets and the Chargers now stand at 4-4 four and four on the season. On to the NBA. The 76ers have now won five in a row, blowing out the Wizards 
126 to 128. Joel Embiid exploded for 48 points and 11 boards. Tyrese Maxey chipped in with 22 and dished out 11 helpers in the route. The Knicks snapped a two-game skid with a 111-97 win over the Clippers. Julius Randle led the way with 22. The Nets fell to Milwaukee 129-125. Brooklyn now 3-4 on the season. On the ice, both Toronto and Florida were overtime winners. Boston edged Dallas 3-2, and the Canucks no trouble with Edmonton 6-2 the final. Men's college hoops got underway last night, and already we have a huge upset. Number four, Michigan State playing at home fell to unranked James Madison 79-76 in overtime. To baseball, the managerial carousel has started spinning. Former Milwaukee Brewers skipper Craig Council is now the Cubs manager. Terry Francona retired, so Cleveland had to find a new guy. He is former All-Star catcher Stephen Voigt. And the New York Mets have plunked former Yankees bench coach Carlos Mendoza from the Bronx to come manage the Amazons next season. That is a look at sports. Thank you kindly, Randy. Man, still to come on the Noon Report for Tuesday. Abortion on the ballot in the Buckeye State. A month of war in the Holy Land. And meet the man who lives homeless on purpose. Welcome to Breakpoint, a daily look at an ever-changing culture through the lens of unchanging truth. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street. In November of 1660, Puritan lay preacher John Bunyan was arrested and subsequently spent 12 years in prison. Under the restored monarchy of Charles II, any dissent from the Church of England was once again illegal. Initially sentenced to three months under the condition he'd stop preaching, Bunyan famously replied he was willing to suffer, quote, till the moss shall grow on my eyebrows rather than to violate my faith and principles, end quote. And in prison, Bunyan completed one of the all-time best-selling works of Christian literature, Pilgrim's Progress. Chuck Colson was deeply impacted by this book, The Pilgrim's Progress. In fact, here's Chuck describing it in his own words. It's often been described as the most popular and most influential book ever published after the Bible, that is. Yet many literary critics of its time treated it with scorn. Its author was simply a humble Puritan minister who wrote it while in prison for his faith. He wasn't even sure he should publish it. Well, if you haven't guessed it yet, I'm talking about The Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. Pilgrim's Progress is a powerful story of one Christian's journey through life. The people, encounters, and struggles he faces have become part of the English language. Mr. Worldly Wiseman, Vanity Fair, The Slow of Despond, and so many more. Yet Bunyan wasn't even trying to be particularly clever or original. As Boer reminds us, Bunyan's thinking was so steeped in scriptures that his book is filled with literally hundreds and hundreds of allusions to biblical references and concepts. And this is what makes its imagery so striking and memorable. The book's theological depth makes it almost suitable for a catechesis of the Christian faith. And something that's always amazed me about Pilgrim's Progress is just how real Bunyan's characters are. The pilgrims at the center of the story are no Christian supermen, no perfect moral heroes. Boa points out there are many weaknesses in the characters, Christian and faithful. And we see that faith coexists with failings. Just like any biblical hero, the Christian characters here must ask for God's help in fighting their own flaws and failures. Their intentions are good, but they're too easily lured away from their path or cast down by their troubles. Unlike much Christian fiction of our own time, Bunyan's allegory does not try to tiptoe around the fact of sin. In many ways, his heroes, despite the 17th century setting, are just like us, which is why Pilgrim's Progress still fascinates us. 
fascinates us and encourages us as well. For as Borg goes on to say, Bunyan's book teaches us that any man, any woman, through grace, can become a Christian hero. It's a lesson that's carried down through the centuries and is just as powerful today as ever. Not bad for a simple Puritan preacher. Chuck Holson knew, of course, what it was like to not only be in prison, but to experience the presence of the Lord in the midst of prison. In the epilogue of his autobiography, Born Again, Chuck wrote, quote, I found myself increasingly drawn to the idea that God had put me in prison for a purpose and that I should do something for those I'd left behind, end quote. Among the lessons to be learned from the stories of Bunyan and Chuck Holson is that suffering can produce the Christian's most powerful witness and that God is always faithful to his people everywhere, even behind bars. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street with Breakpoint. All right, John, thank you very much. Let's take it outside next, Kevin Williams. Here is your family life weather forecast for this afternoon. Variable cloudiness, a couple of showers, gusty breezes, and falling temperatures into, if not through the 40s for many. Tonight, a sprinkle or flurry early, patchy clouds and cold overnight 30s. Tomorrow, some sun and clouding up, chillier. Highs in the upper 30s to the upper 40s. A little rain, sleet, snow mix will arrive in the afternoon in western New York and Spread into central New York tomorrow night. Otherwise, on Thursday, it's cloudy, milder with some showers and high temperatures in the 50s. Thank you, Kevin. This is the Noon Report. I'm your host, Bob Price. Here's what's going on Tuesday, the 7th of November. It's Election Day 2023, a day many pundits are calling a dress rehearsal for 2024. So what are the key takeaways from today's vote? I think Democrats should take away nationally is that their parties move too far to the left. It's become too extreme. And what Republicans should take away from it is that there is a center for Republicans to occupy. The center right is where this country can be won. Political pundit Chris Russell says today's vote, despite being mostly about local issues, is also a referendum on the presidency of Joseph R. Biden. There's no doubt about it that he's part of this campaign. You hear it from voters uh, going door to door. People know it's a state election, but they're very angry with Joe Biden. They're very concerned about the direction of the country. So he is certainly 100% part of this campaign today. There are key governor's races in Mississippi and Kentucky in Virginia. The entire General Assembly is up for grabs, and the abortion issue will figure prominently at the ballot box in the Buckeye State. Voters in Ohio deciding a constitutional amendment that could pave the way for abortion on demand through all nine months of pregnancy. Ohio Senator J.D. Vance. Really the question is, do we want unlimited abortion up to the moment of birth? The answer is no. Do we want to block parents from participating in the health care decisions that their kids? The answer is no. Since the overturning of Roe by the U.S. Supreme Court, six states have voted to enshrine abortion rights into law in their respective state constitutions. Today marks one month since the Hamas terror attack on Israel. In the war that's followed, more than 11,000 Arabs and Jews have died in fighting in the Holy Land. Here's reporter Richard Engel. The Israeli military says its troops will comb through every inch of Gaza. They've surrounded Gaza City. And Israel's Prime Minister Netanyahu says Israel may occupy Gaza for a period until a replacement for Hamas can be found. The UN says Gaza's become a graveyard for children. Half the dead from this war are under the age of 18. Hamas is still holding over 240 hostages in Gaza. Prime Minister Netanyahu says there will be no ceasefire until all of them are freed. Nearly a year after the shooting at a Christian school 
school in Nashville, police are finally releasing the manifesto from the gunman. The transgender shooter, Audrey Hale, was a former student at the Covenant Christian Academy. Hale wrote that she wanted to kill white kids before going on that murderous rampage. Reporter Nate Foy. The 28-year-old Hale killed six people at the school she used to attend. Hale also wrote about feeling nervous but excited on the morning of the shooting, writing, quote, can't believe I'm doing this, but I'm ready. I hope my victims aren't. On March 27th, Hale entered the private elementary school and opened fire, taking the lives of three children and three staff members before cops killed her. It was a dramatic day yesterday in a New York City courtroom as former President Donald Trump took the witness stand at his civil fraud trial. Trump lashed out at Judge Arthur and Gorin, the man who will determine the fate of Trump's business empire. As for yes or no answers by the New York State Attorney, Trump often replied with winding monologues, with Judge Ngorin directing him to stay on topic, telling Trump's lawyers, I beseech you to control him if you can. Robert Costa reporting, the clocks may be reset, but according to the experts, you're likely still not operating on the correct Time. We fell back one hour Sunday and returned to standard time. With that, we gained an hour of sleep but lost an hour of daylight. And that transition, so says experts at the American Medical Association, takes about seven days for the body to fully adjust. It's all about directing our internal circadian rhythm with sunlight and darkness. And they say that transition takes about a week. All right. Good to know. Thank you very much, Bree Tennis, with that report today. You're tuned into the Noon Report, a Tuesday edition on the Family Life Radio Network. Welcome back to another edition of Hometown Heroes on Family Life. I'm Mark Webster. This week's guest is Pastor Eric Johns of the Buffalo Dream Center, who's been bringing attention to the city's homeless for a quarter century by joining them on the streets for a week. Here's part one of our interview. Take us back to year one. What was that like? <laughs> well, the first year, our church was really small, and uh, we had been reaching out to inner-city kids. And I just had it in my heart to um, do something for the kids for Christmas. I knew a lot of them wouldn't get gifts or have a special Christmas. So we set our sights on getting gifts for about 200 kids that we had been working with through our after-school program. And I just really didn't know how we were going to do it. I think most of my church congregation were included in that list of people that were in need. So it was just an idea that I believe was a God idea. I was just driving my car one day and I felt like the Spirit of God just speak to me to leave my house and go live with the homeless. And I mean, I know it was God because I wasn't thinking anything like that. So I uh, packed my little uh, backpack that I have and brought my sleeping bag and left my home for the week. You know, my church was behind me. People were uh, excited about me doing it. But that first year was pretty scary. I was all alone. Nobody was with me and I had no idea what I was doing. I slept under a bridge, you know, with uh, some other homeless guys and just kind of kept one eye open all night. But I did it. I stayed out all week and little did I know that the media would really catch on to it the way that they did. And our little church ended up being the top story on the news all week long. And front page of the newspaper, we did several radio spots about the need that we had in the city of Buffalo. And some money came in and donations were given and we were able to give gifts to just about 200 kids, brand 
new wrap toys for them. And for our church back then, that was a huge thing, you know, uh, for us to be able to accomplish that. But now 25 years later, it's just grown so much. It's just amazing for me to see what has happened over the past 25 years. We um, are now giving gifts to somewhere between four and 5,000 kids every uh, Christmas. And we're also uh, giving food to families. Uh, so we've added food to the whole thing and we're giving out uh, groceries and turkeys and food to uh, this year. We're projected to do about 3,500 families. So what started out very little has grown and it's not just the Dream Center. It's uh, it's we're spearheading it. And I'm, I still live out on the street with the homeless every year and it's our vision, but a lot of uh, other churches and organizations and businesses have come alongside of us. And so really it's a joint effort with a lot of people in the Western New York area that pitch in and help and, and are a part of the team. It's just great to be a part of something that impacts so many lives every Christmas season. Can't help but wonder, 25 years down the road, what impact has it had on you personally? Really a great impact. This will be my last year. I'm passing the baton to my sons who were not even born the first years I did it. One's 20, one's about to be 20. <laughs> and so part of it is a little bit hard to give it up because it's become kind of who I am rather than just something I do every year. I affectionately became known as the homeless pastor to a lot of our friends on the street and a lot of them consider me their pastor. We now have a church that we've planted on the street, Curbside Church, which uh, has about 100 people that attend every Sunday right in the park downtown with music and preaching and everything. And so we've really gotten to know a lot of the homeless community and, and they've become a part of our lives. It's not just a thing that we do. It's really a part of the DNA at the Buffalo Dream Center and a part of who I've become as a person. I think it's really helped me a lot to leave my house and do that every year and live uh, in another man's world for a week. It's really uh, helped me with my perspective and with our ministry at the Dream Center. Is there one particular person you encountered, situation you encountered in all those 25 years out in the street that, that stands out? Oh, yeah. There's one guy in particular who's still a really good friend of mine. And I met Keith um, on the street when he had just gotten out of prison. And so he had been out of prison only about two weeks. I found all this out later, but I had seen him walking around the area of the church. He always wore the same jacket and walked with a, a stick, like kind of like a cane to help him walk. I just walked up to him one day and I said, sir, I, I see you around. I said, I just want to pray for you. And he looked at me and he said, I know who you are. He said, you're that preacher from the church. He said, don't pray for me because it's too late for me. I'm going to hell. I just reached out to him, hugged him, prayed with him just anyway. And uh, he eventually started coming and visiting our church. He was one of the first guys that I reached out to. He's not homeless anymore. He's got an apartment, a place to live. He became a part of our church and a part of my family and a, a really good friend. But the very first year I decided to live on the street for a week, he was the only one in my church who was against the idea. He said, Pastor, you're not a fighter. You're not from the street. You have no idea. It's dangerous out on the streets. He had been homeless. And so instead of fighting with me about it, he decided that first year to go out with me. I was alone at night when I was under the bridge. He wouldn't do that part. But for the rest of the time, he was with me out on the street, showing me the ropes and protecting me year after year until he really just physically couldn't do it anymore. It was him and I. That's Pastor Eric Johns of the Buffalo Dream Center, helping and bringing attention to the city's homeless for a quarter century. 
Please join us again next week for part two as we search for your home, your town, your hero. It's Hometown Heroes on Family Life. All right, great job. Thank you, Mark. Hometown Heroes comes your way every Tuesday during the noon report or online anytime, familylife.org. Good afternoon. Here is your Family Life regional weather forecast on this election day. Today is not really a candidate for a particularly pleasant day. The passage of a girlfriend dropping those temperatures, kicking up the breezes. The cloud cover will be dominant, but a few breaks of sun might allow you to cast a shadow while you head to the ballots. Uh, but you might want to also elect to dress warmly behind that cold front. The chill will be noticeable as we progress through the afternoon into the night. For this afternoon, there are a cloudiness, couple of showers, gusty breezes, and falling temperatures into, if not through the 40s for many. Tonight, a sprinkle or flurry early, patchy clouds and cold overnight 30s. Tomorrow, some sun and clouding up, chillier, highs in the upper 30s to the upper 40s. A little rain, sleet, snow mix will arrive in the afternoon in western New York and spread into central New York tomorrow night. Otherwise, on Thursday, it's cloudy, milder with some showers and high temperatures in the 50s. All right, Kevin, thank you. Final at noon, Thanksgiving Day is just a couple weeks away, and one celebrity is offering a unique holiday getaway in Westchester County, New York. Here's Family Life's Brian Query. For some people, the holiday piles on the pressure to nail it in the hospitality department. But now you can take your entertaining and hosting prowess to the next level. How? By staying on Martha Stewart's farm. That's right, the website booking.com will be listing one night the Saturday before Thanksgiving for up to two people at Martha Stewart's farm. The lucky guests will stay in the tenant house and perhaps the best part, it's priced at just $11.23 for the night to honor Thanksgiving's date this year. A full itinerary catered by Stewart awaits designed to share her favorite Thanksgiving inspired and fall traditions and includes brunch with Stewart. The booking window opens at noon on November 16th to whoever gobbles it up first. Brian Query, Family Life News. All right, Brian, thank you very much. And just like that, folks, we are out of time. That's the world we live in Tuesday, Election Day, November 7th. I'm Bob Price, Family Life News. You've been listening to the Noon Report, heard weekdays on Family Life. Thank you for listening.